Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, uh, holistic visions for planet Earth. My name is Julian Guderlai, and in today's episode, I'm interviewing Alessia Blanchemann. Alessia is determined and an accomplished actor, a model, a human rights activist. She models extensively in New York and LA and has appeared on Girls, House of Cards, Billions, Sex and Drugs, and Rock and Roll. In 2015, she founded her own production company, Bastard Films. While finding creative fulfillment, Alessia was also in search of a way to combat corruption and begin her role as an activist. She trained as an undercover journalist with Project Veritas, an organization dedicated to exposing corruption and abuse of power. Perhaps her most personal activist effort to date, Alessia wrote and produced her first short VR film in 2018 entitled Come In To Me an interactive VR film about human trafficking in the United States, Come Into Me incorporates multiple visual perspectives and real testimonials from trafficking survivors and sex offenders as portions of the dialogue. So with these words, welcome to the show, Alessia. Thank you so much, Elaine. Yeah, I'm excited to, I feel like we, we share a, a, some kind of pathway there, like, you know, some, some modeling, some acting, some some like the desire to do more some desire, vanity <laughs> some vanity that that is like just not enough right that does fulfill deeply that, that that's part of the expression and part of the character and, and part of what comes out and i wouldn't want to miss it but it's not complete until it has like an, an activist kind of effort in in the 2019 uh, year that absolutely we were. tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about your journey with that like what was i know you you immigrated to the states from from russia and belarus like what was the adversities you had to face to make it from like ballet, modeling, acting into like realizing activism is where your heart really starts, starts beating? Mm. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of adversities. Actually, you know, I don't have like a conventional path. Like the acting modeling was just the icing on a cake. And I, a cake was full of many, many things, not as glamorous as that. And, um, you know, I grew up, uh, I was born in St. Petersburg in Russia and grew up in Belarus on the farm uh, with my mom and uh, my sister. And, you know, we, we grew up really poor by American standards. I mean, like living basically from the farm and the garden. And um, I had my grandparents living nearby and like my mom still makes like around $150 a month. So it's like a very, very simple life. And yeah. no like any you know like luxury per se and uh i just read a lot of books as a kid like we didn't have uh, hot water until i was 14 and we didn't have any like good working tv and uh so my only way of learning and expanding my horizons was through books and so i read a lot and i was always fascinated about like other lands and other countries and you know i grew up in belarus we have a dictator since 1991 it's just like there's so much abuse of power going on in mm. my country and um i always felt like a kind of like a rebel like okay i'm living in this country and there's like i can feel so much suppression like people just kind of like gave up with the idea of ever expanding like it's good enough like i can eat i can sleep i can take care of myself mm. i don't need anything else you know and because it's so hard to get a visa to leave Belarus to go anywhere, like if you apply for just a tourist visa to go to Europe or to America, you need to apply 
a month in advance and you need to bring your paperwork and your bank statements and prove that you can actually afford it. And if you can't, you don't even get granted a visa to even go for a few days like mm -hmm. anywhere. So you're pretty much stuck in a small little country and you can only go to Russia or Ukraine for the entertainment. So that by itself like was really suppressing me. I felt like I'm in like, some kind of a post-Soviet Union prison. And um, when I moved to Minsk, the capital of Belarus to study, like I danced ballet in high school, but I pretty much had top grades in any, anywhere in high school, at university. And um, I felt like ballet was a wonderful thing I tried, but wasn't like a way for me to actually make money. So I studied business and with a major on psychology of personnel in Minsk. And there I discovered Woody Allen films, especially Manhattan. And sort of that like really fired me up to move to New York. Like I watched the movies and I was just like, this is, this is it. Like this is my place. Mm. This like intelligent, slightly depressed, stylish people is just my kind of crew. <laughs> like, I just love it, you know? I need to get there somehow. And so the moment I started sharing with my friends that I want to move to New York, um, somebody appeared in my sphere literally within a week and saying like, hey, you can apply for this short-term visa, J1 for work and travel and move to America. And so I applied for that visa, uh, really miraculous that I got approved because in Belarus, there is no American embassy. You can't even apply because our president denied um, American embassy to be existent in our country. And so you need to go to Russia, to Moscow, which is only once a week on Thursday, you can apply for visas to Belarusian and you stay in a long line. And if you get lucky and you actually get to the interview, there's like one in thousands chance that you will actually get approved. And so wow. that time it was like 50 students applied and three of us got the visa. I was one of them. And so I asked my mom, to somehow give me the money to move to New York. And, you know, she gave me all of her savings. She gave me her $300 and she bought me a ticket to New York. And it's just like, that's it. And it uh, yeah. And so, you know, I came here with a girl that I met at the embassy and we landed at the airport. We took a bus to Penn Station. We took a train to Columbia. I've heard we could stay at like a student's hostel there. And we got there and they say, sorry, girls, you're not our students. You can't stay with us. And then here we are with that girl. First day I'm in New York. Don't know where to stay. We didn't have any other plan. Like I lied to my mom that I have a place to stay and a job. So my mom would actually let me do that. Yeah. But I actually didn't have any plan besides staying at Columbia Hostel. Somebody told me that would be easy. And it was not. And then we were looking for a place. And we stayed first day in some like terrible hotel in Queens. And then next day we were wandering around the streets. and trying to figure out what to do and sneaked in into this like internet room at Columbia University, got on Craigslist, we part of Craigslist and like started searching for a place to stay in a job and realized we're just like screwed. Like we don't have any money to even rent a room because just the room costs in New York like first month and security yeah. deposit at least $500 someone outskirts in Brooklyn. And so she has $400, but like we still didn't have any money. And, uh, you know, we just kind of realized like, we like literally on the brink of like becoming homeless in New York within a couple of days. And um, uh, one Muslim man who was selling fruits at the fruit stand near Columbia saw us like fighting and crying. We were looking for like newspapers or the plastic boxes where they give you free newspapers. And so we looked there for a job or a place to stay. And that man asked what's going on and we explained. 
I had like broken English. I, I took like mm. a month of English lessons before coming because I studied German in high school and university. So I'm like, my English was pretty much non-existent. Yeah. And German doesn't really help you too much. In, yeah. yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah. And my girlfriend, she was like, she spoke English, but she was really shy. I wasn't shy, but I didn't speak English. So we were like these two crooked people, like blind and deaf, like trying to figure it out together. <laughs> and so this guy, she spoke to us and then he said, I will call my wife one second. Um, don't go. And so we, his wife arrived. She talked to us for a couple of hours and then she said, you know what? I can... I feel like I can trust you. We're gonna, we're gonna give you our children's bunk bed in Harlem and you can stay with us for 10 days for $300. And maybe hopefully within that time, you will find a job and a place to stay. And so we moved in into this like project, oh, a little extra hand of the, yeah, of the bunk beds and, you know, started looking for a job and like we're eating once a day, like oatmeal and jumping through subway because we couldn't afford it. And like once police caught us and we, like cried our way out of it. Like there was, there was so much struggle. Like this whole first year in New York, I was pretty much eating McDonald's and like the cheapest food and gained like 25 pounds and destroyed my skin and like really felt pretty like bad about myself, I guess. Like I didn't really have much of self-esteem, you know? And uh, it was difficult, it was really difficult, you know? And I was also, I changed visa, I applied for student visa to study at language school so I could learn English. And, uh, you know, throughout all this time, I had to go to school five days a week and work in two restaurant shops so I could afford to pay for that school and for my restaurants and for my living. Hmm. And I lived like deep, deep, deep in Brooklyn and I would take like a train for an hour and a half to Upper East Side to work at a bar and then come back. And so many times fell asleep on a train and the train turned around back into like Harlem. I mean, there was just like so many things that I don't even understand now how I was able to persevere for that long mm. with like sense of resilience, you know, and it was just like slowly, really slowly. I said, it's like my English doesn't getting better. My restaurant job's gotten better. I actually started saving some money. I started sending some money to my mom and my sister. Then I like applied for this uh, school, FIT, it's a fashion institute of technology in New York. And applied for 75% off discount for New York State residents. Like you can get approved for that. And I did. And so I transferred my credits from Belarus University to FIT and started to advertise their marketing. And so there's just like so many shifts, you know, lots of work, lots of pain, lots of like loneliness. You know, I also was waiting for my paperwork and uh, I got my green card in four and a half years. And then, um, became an American like two, three years ago. But for the first four and a half years, I couldn't leave America. I was waiting for my papers and I couldn't go back to see my family. And my, my family wasn't getting approved for any visas when they were applying. So mm. I was literally by myself in a new country, just like pushing just it, you know? Kind of stuck again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a massive learning curve for a girl at 20 years old to come by yourself and learn how to take care of yourself and learn a new language. And stand up for yourself when some people want to try to take advantage of you because they see that you're actually desperate and you help you know i mean there were mm. so many situations that really weren't easy and so this whole acting modeling thing it emerged only like four years ago and because i finally built myself up you know i learned how to take care of myself physically emotionally spiritually that i actually was able to like you know doll it up and now act this like american dream game but right before that, there was like a lot of hardship before I was even able to do that, you know. 
Alessia, that's such a fascinating story, and thanks for sharing some of the hardship too. Because I mean, we just we were just joking before the recording, like like good vibes only sometimes means we gotta look at the shit that's going down so we can understand either how blessed we are or how much work there still is to do. And it sounds like adversity you went through is like largely informing what you're doing now with with VR and with storytelling and and just like what's driving you to say you know what even though I like quotation marks here like made it in the American dream worked my way out of two bar jobs into acting and being like a professional uh, model and actor it's actually not enough what actually needs to come through is 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 what's deep in your soul like do you feel like it prepared you for that and it- yeah I mean acting and modeling was just a way to enter the slightly messed up corrupted system we live in you know there's a lot of vanity about which we spoke and people, unfortunately, if it's not sexy enough or cool enough, not going to look at the hard truth. So in a way, I first polished it up, collected some interesting credits that now excite people to even like engage with you, ultimately. And then from that, I volunteered for anti-human trafficking organizations. I worked as an undercover journalist really dig deep into actually what's going on with women and children not just of the world in america like let's talk about america you know i mean there's so many uh people that are being abused here on a regular basis and they're ashamed to talk about it because they think it's their fault and so when i learn more and more about that at some point like i couldn't just like not do anything about it and like three years ago i um yeah like worked as an undercover journalist on new york sounds can you still hear me? <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. And, and we, it's all we hear the lovely sound of New York. That's great. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was just kind of like, I couldn't like not do it anymore. And so when I moved to LA, I, somebody introduced me to virtual reality and I was just like, oh my God, this is it. I'm going to tell a story from all the point of views about the most pressing, the most painful spot of humanity, abuse of power and loneliness. Let me actually close the window. One sec. Yeah, and so, you know, when I couldn't not do it anymore, it was just like, I know too much, you know, Mm. like it's in my system. I've looked at the eyes of victims that have been abused in America for years. I spoke to some sex clients, ex or current ones, you know, I, I've seen it and I see it around me. So I just can't be delusional anymore, you know? And so I was just like, okay, I'm going to collect all the knowledge and all the points, American points, to actually bring the story forward that is need to be told. And, you know, so if I would make another film, like a normal 2D film about human trafficking, just nobody's going to watch it. Like nobody cares. Nobody has time on Saturday afternoon to turn on Netflix and watch a film about human trafficking. There's just no way, you know? Like we're already so, like... attacked by media and nobody's just gonna watch another depressing movie you know so the only way was actually to do it is to do it in a an immersive unusual cutting edge way so people are so curious about the way you made it that even when the topic is dark they're still gonna want to watch it and in a way virtuality is that you know it gives you the superpower you can be a spirit in a space and then you can enter different bodies and literally look through their eyes and experience their being. It's just like, we all would like like to do it. How cool is that to travel to human minds? And um, ultimately, you know, this is what I sort of set out to do. And it was really kind of a cathartic path for the last three years to, mm. 
to write the script, to rewrite it many times. I raised the money three times. I shot it three times because technology wasn't catching up yet. Right. And so finally, the final version was shot last September and it took months to edit and so much more money than I expected. And so my ego had to die just like so many times while yeah. asking for money and asking for support. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about also people's motivation. There's this thing called uh, return on investment yeah. uh, that is very popular in our society. It's like, if I get something, I better get something back, right? Like uh, definitely money value. And if not, at least uh, it's gotta be big. The project is gonna be cool and I'm gonna go to red carpet. I mean, there's gotta be something, right? Totally. And th there's this like feeling of like, no, would you like to just contribute because it's gonna make a society a better place? And maybe just enjoy of like not being known as a giver at all how's that for a change you know and so i learned a lot when like talking to people that have funds and you know not that open to that kind of a selfless giving yet you know and i went through my own phase of like judging them despising them forgiving them coming back again there's just like full-on journey you know and also even learning how to take care of myself for the process and like keep on going and not giving up. I mean, there was just, it's just incredible actually. And you know, it's not over yet. Like I completed last year, I premiered in Berlin at Berlin Alatine Festival and it was shown in Amsterdam. So you did, and then, you did get a little bit of the red carpet, a ripple of impact return. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like, you know, it's, it's so um, quick. And ultimately not substantial, you know, it's like, everyone is just like, oh, you premiered like the festival. And so what? Okay. So people, a couple of saw it, people, a couple of people, you know, maybe even talked about it after it's gotta be like global. Like there gotta be like activation pots where this is being seen. The conversation is being had before and after we talk about what kind of actions we can take afterwards so it can actually be taken into the real life because if you don't choose to change your actions this you, all of your revelations is just bullshit i'm sorry like this like whole spiritual jerk off movement that's going on right now is hilarious like absolutely hilarious you know it's like and i get it maybe it's just the process of a, from a caterpillar to a butterfly we've got to have our enlightenment moments but ultimately, like, I don't care how many ayahuascas you've done and how many trips on acid that you completed and all of your breathing techniques, if you actually don't take it into real life and actually put your time and sacrifice and effort into action. Like, sorry. I, I love that Wait you're up. saying that. Please don't apologize. I think this is part of, um, you know, a culture awakening, if we call it a spiritual awakening or, or just like an evolution of our globalized culture, I, I feel is is to go through these um these phases where we realize we we might become a little too uh fluffy and focused on the past or the future and and the healing which that means we're not integrating right and we're not actually clear on on the action now i saw an in, in, interesting um meme on instagram this morning um yeah. not that i get all my information off instagram but but i do love the the memes that are floating around and so it was I don't know who posted it and I forget even what was under it, but basically it was three stands and it was um, spirituality in our days. And one was past, um, past life readings and a big lineup of people. One was meditation to be in the now, zero people. And then one was future and um, envisioning your future and also like a really big lineup. And I feel like this, this, this meme really describes it well. It's like, 
Let's use our spiritual superpowers to understand everything about our past lives and the astral projections of the future in the multiverse. It's like, really though, aren't we here right now to move here right now? Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. And you know, it's a process. I mean, I am guilty as charged like as well. I went through my own times of like healing and, and needing to like take care of myself, of course. And I've noticed that when it just get overbalanced and I only think about myself and only about my pain or whatnot, then it's not that effective. It's like self-indulgent, like journey in your own downward spiral, you know, and it's, it's not almost like it's not a life unless you take it into practice, you know. That's why I talk about planetary purpose on this show. I feel like, you know, at some point in your journey of healing and integrating intuition, um, the, the moment of purpose shows up and not just the moment of purpose of making money or making it in society. And I love how in your journey that had to be part of it because you came from such an adverse background, which on a global scale, like half of the world lives in that adverse background, you know? Yeah, and more than half and yeah. at that point, purpose shows up and planetary purpose really for me is this idea of being connected to our planet home, being connected to our green planet, blue planet and understanding where we're citizens of the earth. And we're also you know, possibly come from uh, a multiverse of souls, but, but that's a complete different, different story. So within that world we're in and, and within the word purpose, I'd love to ask you a few more questions. And um, the first one's about trust, because it sounds like you had to go through a lot of moments where people, people would, would be even you know, trying to take advantage of you. And you just said that. So I want to ask you, what is required for you, Alessia, to feel and experience trust? Mm, such a good question you know I used to say that like I needed from the outside like you gotta prove me so I can trust you and of course there's a degree of that like okay if you consistently proven me that you're unreliable or sneaky line of course like I can put two and two together and like no like I'm not just not gonna trust this person and yet I really want to focus on the inside job because if I choose truly choose to just first trust and share that with that person that I'm giving you that gift like I'm just choosing to trust you unless you prove me wrong and I truly believe in your highest potential. And here is all the reasons why I'm potentially afraid of connection with you. It's a business partner, it's a lover, it's a, it's a friend, it's a girlfriend, whoever. But I'm gonna choose to trust you anyways. And let's see where it, where it leads us. I feel like in that way, I, I'll inspire people to step into their best self and they're aware of my triggers as well. And, you know, yeah. through the process of communication, like you kind of like hopefully step into more and more and more alignment. I used to be very like kind of like cutthroat, like, yes, no, yes, no. Like, you know, like I see you're good and, I, and I'm fully loyal and I'm devoted to you. I see that you're not good, like out of my life immediately, like immediately. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into a place of like more compassion and more understanding and really seeing that people are in different phases of their life and who am I to judge? You know, I mean, I was pretty ignorant and selfish at certain times of my life as well, you know, and I can have all the justifications for that. I was struggling. I was alone, blah, blah, blah. But 
nevertheless, I was sometimes selfish and manipulative. And actually people probably couldn't trust me. And so now I'm just kind of like wanting to learn where people are at. I've also found that every time I share with a person from a vulnerable place, what truly scares me about them or about our connection and yet standing there with my open heart, still ready to connect, just miracles happen like absolute miracles. Like I'm, I'm, I'm connecting more with women. Like I remember I shared once with one woman who was like proactively flirting with my boyfriend and like touching him a lot. And I just like, at some point I fucking hated her. You know, I was just like, what is she doing? You know? And my boyfriend is like, I believe it. She's like, she's just nice. She's just nice. I'm like, just like snap her. Snap at her. Like what's going on here? You know? And then he's like, well, talk to her. And she's like literally running the movie called, I trust you. <laughs> She's a social like, entrepreneur and she runs a movement called I Trust You, of all things. And I remember I called her and I was like, listen, girl, can we get together and talk? Like, I really have some things to share with you. And I don't want to, like, start practically hating you. So, like, let's talk. Mm-hmm. And we, we were in Bali and we got together in Bali in, like, hot baths. And just, like, poured our hearts out. And I shared with her all the moments when I didn't feel safe in front of women and that I actually inherently don't trust women because I feel like they're all for themselves still. And she cried and shared with me that she's been alone as a kid and never had like deep affection. So she just deeply craves friendships and connection. And for her, touching is like a way of feeling connected with people. And like it blossomed into such a beautiful friendship. Like unbelievable. Like I have goosebumps when I talk about it still. And it's like, if I didn't reach out, back then and said hey like you terrify me i'm like ready to hate you and potentially kill you mm-hmm. and then then we would never connect you know mm-hmm. so that's to me it's trust it's like a proactive work of actually sharing and standing vulnerable in that thank you for that answer and that example i i, I really dig that answer of like a proactive work i feel like proactive is something that shows up for me a lot in in, in life like there is this energy in myself where I'm like sitting and waiting and hoping. And then I realize like, that's not actually connecting me with, with purpose. I mean, yeah, that might be like um, a part of our like child self that, you know, might like wish we, we were born on the planet when already a lot of work was done in terms of environmental activism or like human rights and equality, but we're here for a reason right now. And it, we are required to be proactive at this time in our evolution. Like, it's 2019 going into 2020 as we're recording this and the state of the world is amazing from some angles and like still needs a lot of trust and a lot of vulnerability to, to, to spiral upwards. And I feel like it's almost like a requirement, you know, to, to show up and do that kind of proactive work. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that, because in this proactivity, there is a very important element called surrender it's actually about doing nothing and just being in it, which is really controversial to the Western mentality, you know, like Western mentality, especially in New York, do, 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 like I'm going to do more and I'm going to make it happen. But the thing is that this precious like collective communion, like actually being part of a whole, it's so much about surrender that you can't force by doing necessarily. It's about by melting into it and just being like, I'm just going to let go. I'm going to let go all of my ego and all of my like needs totally. and being seen a certain way. And I'm just going to be it because I'm just committed. You know, I'm so committed that even if I die tomorrow, it doesn't matter. 
you know, and that kind of state is, I think this is where hopefully, you know, where we're all hidden, uh, heading and that's what healing is ultimately about, you know, just to create such a safe space in certain parts of our life that teaches us about that surrender. And that's kind of the beauty, you know, being, being surrendered into proactive commitment. Mm -hmm. I like it, Alessia. Let me ask you some rapid fire questions. I, I wanted to, I have a few other questions and I want to kind of change it up a bit. Go for it. Um, so rapid fire, yes, no, maybe both, neither, whatever you want to answer. Uh, the uh -huh. first one is dance or meditation? Huh, both. Dancing, meditation. Okay, cool. Ocean or lake water? Um, ocean or lake water? Both. That's okay. <laughs> meat, meat, meat or veggies? Veggies, for sure. Veggies. Plant trees or fly to Mars? Plants. Uh, mate or kombucha? Mate. If you want something done right, do it yourself or better as a team? Better as a team. Cannabis or alcohol? Cannabis. Jungle or desert? Jungle. What three things in your life would you not want to miss? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Probably given a birth. I feel like it's such a mystical thing that we women get to experience. Giving birth. Mm-hmm. Um... I wouldn't want to miss like this union of feminine and masculine coming into delicious union. Like this is my big mission of my life and I would love to witness it. Like the celebration of masculine and feminine together in this like delicious play. Mm. On, a um, on a big collective level, is that what you mean? Uh-huh, yeah. And... What I wouldn't want to miss is, you know, the earth stepping into super holistic, again, union within itself, that humans becoming a beautiful part of this, of this ecosystem and actually like an honorable species that help to coexist as fun. And that would be my third thing that I wouldn't want to miss. That's, that's really cool. I love that you took this question into like things that are going to happen and you just have this like yep. this confidence. This is, it's happening. Yeah, it's, it's happening. <laughs> so this is my follow-up question. And we talked about it before, like the, the notion of planet home and the idea of like a holistic vision or planetary purpose. And you're already alluding towards it. So my question for you is, um, if you were to go out 200 years, right? Like a seven generational view of earth, seven generations into the future. What do you think is needed, is required? What do you think becomes possible? Like what are some, some thoughts and feelings that like you associate with that dream of the earth? We're just gonna become one global family. You know, we're gonna enter the space where we're gonna feel deep sense of honor and joy and bliss of being alive and being here at this point in time. And looking at our global family as a massive family of brothers and sisters, you know, like a full on celebration of being a family, living in this tiny little speck called planet earth and um, honoring it and celebrating it and truly realizing we are living 
on heaven and earth and just truly celebrating each other. I feel like there's, uh, you know, it's coming from indigenous culture. There's this reverence for grandmothers and grandfathers, you know, they have so much wisdom to share, so much love. And there's so much celebration and deliciousness and like being a woman and like dancing and loving your family and truly expressing your inner wisdom, like your womb wisdom. There's so much beauty in like being a man, like being a protector, truly seeing how things need to be done. So it actually taken care of in a beautiful way, you know? And so when man is like celebrated by a woman that feels taken care of, like then man is like rising into his like highest potential. And you know, like boys, girls, and ki like kids can just like also connect and just play and feel so safe in that heaven. Like we have it, like we have the planet, we have the family. We just like need to figure it out among each other that we're actually that is what's going on. You know, like this new story that needs to become a norm, like a norm. Like the stories that have been told are not true, which is why we're in dissonance right now with the planet. So we need to come back to our original story. I love you for saying that. I, I agree. It, it's, it's such a simple notion. It will require a fundamental consciousness shift ongoingly, but we're all on this rock together. Like, like do we get that yet? You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's going to be a lot about, like, as of right now, in our transition process, I feel like humanity needs to shift on little hives, you know, kind of like, like how bees operate. And everyone needs to be a part of a little hive. And so within that hive, like truly take honor in being a part of it and just do your part within that little hive. Like stop worrying about the whole thing, but just commit to that little community. And if all of us become part of some communities and these communities just choose a way to communicate and exchange data with, you know, from a clear, honest, transparent place, everything is possible. I mean, the biggest magic is possible when we collectively show up for something. I mean, not one person can do anything, like, but together we're truly like gods. Yeah, talk a little bit more about the power of collaboration. I like this. Mm. Like maybe even an example of the movie that you just produced for VR or like any, you know, like just collaboration and how it really, really moves the needle. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because I went through a lot of painful lessons while making my film. And it's been, uh, it's been a learning journey for me because in the beginning when I was pushing this concept forward, uh, it seemed such outrageous idea, you know, to make a film in VR and it's in, you can be there, but you can be in each body. And like how to record a rape, like in virtual reality from a point of view of a man, from a point of view of a woman, that it's actually watchable it's not too shaking you're not even gonna throw up while watching it not just because of what you're watching but because when camera moves you get nauseous there's just like so many things that almost were impossible and i kept telling people about it i finally collected the team and then even when we were on set there were so many difficulties you know we had to stay every day longer than we anticipated and it was physically exhausting and there was like this difficult camera racks that people have to wear and everyone was exhausted emotionally and physically, you know? And before that we were running pre-production for like 12, 14 hours a day. And, you know, I went through like times of like, kind of like dark, like kind of like feeling like I'm alone, you know? Like sometimes I was together with the team and they were excited and then they were tired and they just wanted to go home. 
and I was just like, we're still on set. We're still legally allowed to be here for two hours. Like, come on, let's do it. And they're like, we're done. We're just tired. And I went through like this phases of like judging them, thinking I got picked some like wrong members of the team to then melting into forgiveness and understanding that I wasn't truly stepping into their shoes and learning what's going on in their life on that day. Like I learned so much about leadership and about humility, you know, how important it's actually to stay truly in a humble place because the moment you, you think you figure it all out and you're better than everyone else, you're actually writing off your own team, you know, yeah. and like making them smaller. And now they secretly hating you. And I went through that phase on like last day of being on set of my own film, you know, that took me three years to pull it off. And I, I found all these beautiful people and I hired them and I'm on set and I can feel that they're just tired. And so, you know, so it's like my process of that is just like, really learn about your team, like learn about their stories, learn about what they care about, learn about what they're going through right now, like truly connect. Like I, after that, I'm just like, I want to go on the retreats with people I want to create. I want to do like ayahuasca and acid travels and whatnot. And then, and then when I truly feel that great and truly understand who they are and, and actually feel them from that place now I want to create like this whole top bottom hierarchy like I got the money here's the money do the job for me it's actually not working like this is the reason this world is going to shut show right now there's just no like this camaraderie kind of like a sense of like we're in it together and even though my role is a director and your role is a like holding the light bulb like we're equally important because we're completing the important part of the puzzle without which it's not going to be whole and so that deeper sense of respect and reverence for each other and genuine curiosity of where your team members at, I think is such a key to co-creating anything. Here, here, I, I, I enjoy listening to you on that. I feel like um, there's, there's still like lots of lessons for me to learn on that same front. And at the same time, like I know truly I'm committed to lifelong learning. And in these interactions, I've witnessed it in, in many different jobs and gigs and events and moments that when we follow the hierarchy of the money, the ultimate output isn't really of an integral quality. Meaning like, because the person who's just holding the light bulb in your example, they usually don't feel radically responsible for the entire creation. But or radically appreciated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're treated like, hey, you, like, fix the light bulb. I don't even know what your name is. I mean, who cares? Right. And light bulb guy. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So you, you get the same kind of a commitment, you know? Very, very interesting. Yeah. There's lots of, lots of time, I think, that we as humans get to spend together. You mentioned the ayahuasca's or LSDs. For who, who that is, uh, who, who, who wants that, I think that might be a tool. But I would even just put it simpler. Like, when you spend real time with people, first or even while you're working with them beyond the work itself which sometimes feels like too much but i guess then you're actually seeing their cosmos you're seeing their lens their perspective and um and they're just going to give you so much more than you ever dream of mm. you know like we're all such infinite universes walking around like waiting to be activated and appreciated and so if you, if i'm not appreciating you you don't even have an opportunity to share your gifts with me i already shut you down you know so like I just lost access to like infinite reserves of genius in you. 
by doing so. That's an excellent quote to end this episode on. Alessia, thank you so much. All right. I like that a lot. No, that was like, it doesn't get better than this. <laughs> Appreciate and listen to the infinite universes around you in every single person that shows up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that my mission today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good mission. Thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you so much for interviewing me and learning about my journey. And that's that, another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it, very much so, and we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line, where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you. And I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of insight, evolution, and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, th guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon.